You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I signal. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey with Jason. And like before, many, many times, no Amanda today, she's chasing Foster or no, no. Well, somebody, somebody's got an appointment today, and she's out taking care of that. And so today, you've got me and Mr. Peter Mutabazi. I normally ask if how to pronounce the name before we start recording. Hopefully, I got that close, Peter. Am I close? Yes, you got it right. Mutabazi, the way it looks. Excellent. I love names that are the way they look, especially when they have some some connections there that I go, oh, I'm not certain if, that, if that's pronounced exactly that way. So I'm glad I got it right. Peter is the author of the book, Now I Am Known, that's releasing in August. And you can find him over his website at nowiamknown.com. And Peter, I saw you in a couple of places on um, online on some news stories and whatnot. And it's, it turns out you have a... Uh, we'll say unconventional story. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you, how you got involved in the foster care slash adoption type place and, and what your story is, man. Well, yes, absolutely. My story is, you know, that I was born and raised in Uganda. I grew up in a small little village where life was miserable. I mean, miserable. We were as poor as it gets. Think about like my mom could not afford a meal for a dad, you know? So, and that meal was, you know, item of beans and potatoes, and we could not afford to, so we could only eat one every other day, you know. Life was miserable. Like I had to grow even those beans. I had to go fetch water three to four miles away. So for me, life was just so miserable on the poverty level, you know. And then at the age of four, I began to realize that my dad was different, that my dad was abusive in every shape, form you could, you could imagine. And more, I think mostly on how he treated my mom, you know, uh, it's sad when you have one 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 parent that loves you so much, but at the same time, to see the abuse that she got, and I could not protect her. So that was my world world of literally hopelessness. You know, world of no dreams, no hope, nothing at all. But you grew you grew up woke woke up in the morning and thought, do I have the next day? And that was my life. What at age of ten, I I thought, you know, look, rather than let my dad take my own life, I'm gonna run away. So I went to the bus station. And I asked the lady which bus went the farthest. And as soon as she pointed to that bus, I'd go to that bus and I'd run away. I had never been 20 miles away. I went 500 miles away and I ended wow. up in Kampala and I became a street kid. So that is really more of my childhood. That life was just so miserable in every way, shape, form. Wow. I mean, just wow, dude. That's that's a story. Number one, I need to, I need you to tell my kids how good they have it. Because they they think life is horrible if they don't have a if they don't have any Wi Fi, you know they uh, 
they think that that that's abuse or if i don't have what they want the answer to the question like the one who just came through my office trying to trying to ask me questions even though i told him not to come in here <laughs> and that's almost like horrible abuse but man you 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 have a story that that my parents would have liked me to hear at a young age to understand how good we have it and i think a lot of times you know here in the u.s and and you probably have the unique perspective to to verify this kids here don't mostly for the most part most kids here don't know what really hard times are yes i would say absolutely that they don't understand you know but also sometimes i think we cannot blame them because that they're 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 born in an era and an area where we parents do everything we can to protect them you know Sometimes, yes, I get to fault myself, you know, if my kids don't understand, you know, but I've been fortunate to be able to say, you know, all I ask for you is to remove the other uh, dishes from the dish from from the dishwasher to the to where they need to be or put the dishwasher. And I would say, hey, I had to walk three miles to just get water to clean those dishes. So me asking you, it's really something small and you should be privileged that I, you didn't have to walk seven miles away, you know, back and forth. Uh, that I, I try to use them as a teaching moments, but at the same time, to, I, I, they will never be in Africa, they will never go to where I was born, but somehow to always remind them on how good it is by comparing my own journey to their journey. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to ask this question too. You, you know, you mentioned that your father was not exactly what you would call a uh, kind human in your life. Um, did you ever work any of that out? How, how did you heal that father wound, if you will? Well, that it took a while, you know, so, well, this is how it happened. So, you know, I, I had a dad, my dad never said anything positive towards me, no matter what I did, no matter what I wanted to show him, he always had the negative, you know, uh, I didn't perform well in school. This is what I had from him every day. You never mount anything. I wish you were never born. So I didn't have to feed you. That's what I had every day, you know, but as a street kid, when a stranger really saw me, uh, I had been on the street for about four and a half years, and the stranger saw me and said, look, man, I have fed you for one year, and a half, one year and a half. Would you love to go to school? And along the way, he truly took me to school and changed my life. You know, but I think he also showed me the example of what a father should be. You know, I think seeing how he lived his life, seeing how he treated his kids, seeing the passion he had, you know, look at me. I was a street kid, dirty thief, but he saw the best in me at my lowest, that he really wanted to the best for me, that once I got that, once I understood that, now I really began to really look at my own dad, you know, that, okay, maybe he didn't have an example. Maybe he, I don't know, he had it the wrong way. And I think I wanted to show him what a father ought to be. So, and I knew I had to forgive him. I knew I truly had to forgive him. So I had to walk back home, my, my village, and I said, look, by then I was in, in high school. I was like, look, you wanted the best for me. You wanted the worst for me. But well, God used it for good that I am at the right place, you know, and I think that's what really helped me forgive him to see that a stranger had loved me so much that I somehow I did not want to, my dad's behavior or abuse to ruin my future because he had shown me what a future ought to be. And I didn't want the anger, you know, uh, the hatred towards my dad to ruin my future. So that's why I had to go back and, and forgive him in some way. Now, I got to ask, because the other side of that, I'm thinking you mentioned, you know, that your mom was a, was the, the kind influence in your childhood. And when you hopped on that bus and took off, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, through my own experience with, with my family, I, that had to have had to have been 
something pretty big for her to figure out how to deal with. What was that like for her? Yes. I'm, I mean, I to this day, I'm guilty because she was pregnant when I left because of disappearing or running away. She lost a child. She had a miscarriage. So sometimes I think I have, you know, I have that guilt that me running away caused her to lose the child, you know. But I also knew that he, you know, she loved me. But also I knew that there's, there's no way I could protect her in some way. Uh, there was nothing against her that I was, you know, I, I knew my mom did everything she can. The same abuse I got, she, the, the same she got. But also I knew that she had more kids to take care of that. I didn't, not like I was a burden, you know, but I thought maybe that would be a little bit easier uh, as a 10 year old. That's what I was thinking, you know, but yes, I think it left a mark on her. But also it, it, it kind of really gave her hope after she knew that I was okay and I'd gone to school and I was doing well. So do you, did you keep a connection with your parents on through your life as you got older? Yes, absolutely. I'm the oldest of five. So I realized that I had a part to play. So I had, I'd gone to school, I had gone to university as well. So I wanted to change my siblings life. I knew I could not take them away, but I knew I can give them an education. So I pursued them to go to school and they all went to school and went to university. But also I loved my mom. I wanted to protect my mom as well. So I needed to provide for her. So that meant that I had to go back. So absolutely, I've been in touch with them to this day. Uh, I love them. You know, they're doing well, but they're doing well because someone was kind to me. They're doing well because someone saw the best in me. They're doing well because someone made me an example for my brothers to say, if Peter can do it, I think we can do it as well. Yeah. Now, what we've got you as a high school kid in Uganda. How did you make the the leap across the, the ocean and end up in the U.S.? Oh, yes. So this man, when they took me in, you know, he finally, you know, also introduced me to his family. So then I began staying with his family and their family really used words of kindness, you know, words of affirmation to encourage me every day. They would tell me, Peter, you matter, you're chosen, you're a gift to us. And the more I had those, the, those kind of words and affirmation, the more it helped me to go back and do well in school. So I finished school in Uganda, I went to university, and then I got a scholarship to go study in England. And then I went back to Uganda and then I got a scholarship to come to study in the United States. Again, through the kindness of one. It's, it's amazing how, how, you know, when you help or when you intervene in someone's life and how far it goes for me, it, it took me to England and that's how I came to the U.S. Uh, as a student. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, no offense, dude, but you don't look like you're necessarily still a student at university anymore. No, I'm now an old parent, you know. Uh, <laughs> yes, you know, the kids have taken a toll on my beard. <laughs> well, uh, fortunately, they've only gotten a few of mine starting to, to gray out. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and be thankful that it hasn't gone full gray yet. Right. Because they're trying. <laughs> they're trying. So you got to the States and, and what kind of work do you do here? So when I came to United States, I went to school and then I worked for Compassion International. Uh, for 11 years. And then uh, once I became a foster dad, I moved to Oklahoma. And then now I work for World Vision. Uh, as you know, they advocate for children all over the world. And I wanted to do both. I wanted to advocate for kids here in the United States, as well as advocate for children uh, that are in the same position as I am in developing countries. Wow. Dude, you, you've got like, <laughs> you, you've got quite the, the plate, full of, plate full of things you got going on there. So what made you decide to get into foster care? Because, I mean, you're a single guy, right? 
Yes, I'm single. Well, I think when I came to the United States, I think my first time, I really struggled with my faith, you know? I saw how much food was thrown away. I saw just the, you know, so much of everything. And I thought, God, do you love us the same way? Like, do you truly love us? That I come from a village where kids died because of lack of beans and potatoes. And people here have so much to throw away, you know? But as I, as I really struggled with that, you know, I began also to, to, to really think of myself like, God, you bless me, you know. Then I'll visit families and then I'll see they have seven bedroom house, but there's only two people. And I'm wondering, what do you use the others for, you know? Uh, I come from a place where most families live in, in, you know, in a house as big as the average car garage here in the United States. And you'll find there are seven to 12 families that live in there. And I thought, man, you know, uh, that that's a waste of space, you know. And I think as I I began to really travel and see, I was also convicted by Luke twelve forty eight. To whom much is given, much is required. I was like, man, I have been given so much. I need to do something. And then once I knew about Foursquare, well, before the Foursquare, I traveled all over the world. I've been to one hundred and one hundred and one countries, and I would travel with families that were adapting either in Ethiopia, in China, in Uganda. But I'd never seen a black person that was adapting or was traveling you know they were always white caucasian families and they were always married so i thought well if you're male and you're single there's no way you know so when i walked into the post care system i said hey i would like to mentor teenagers is there a way i could because i knew i had time i knew i could do it at least once a week and the social worker said hey have you ever thought of being a foster dad and I said, well, I don't think I qualify. I'm not married. She's like, no, you can be a foster dad as a single man. I was like, okay, where do I sign up? Literally, I did not leave that office until I signed up. So I signed up because I've always wanted to be a dad. You know, I think this family that took me in had shown me what a truly a father should be. And I think also I understood the foster kid because I was the kid who was unwanted. I was the kid who was unloved. I was the kid who had every trauma you could think of that was abused in every shape form, but yet someone took care of me. Yes, someone loved me without looking at my trauma, but saw me as a human being and changed my life. And so I, I knew that those kids have walked the same walk that I wanted to go there. I wanted to be with them and truly be able to use my past in order to truly encourage them as well. You know that, hey, I was one of you. I know what you feel someone changed my life and i i thought it was the best way to pay back i mean to pay to pay it forward because he truly changed my life and as soon as i became a host i was like man this is my calling so it's been really joy i've had 24 kids i have four now i've adapted one and i'm in the process of adapting three more so it's truly been a joy a game changer as well Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, the, the, uh, the social worker saying you absolutely can be a foster dad. <laughs> I could just, I can see that because they're, they're, they're dying for, for parents, quite frankly, you know, for foster parents to come in and, and help them out. And, you know, I think it's me. Do you know who Meg Meeker is the author? Yes. Okay. Meg Meeker was speaking at an event that I was at, uh, I believe it was last year. And that's one of the things that, that was mentioned is if you want to turn this country around, put a strong father on every block, you know, put one on every block, go, go in, into the, you know, go into, to the, the urban neighborhoods where it's a primarily black community, put a strong black father in there, go into the, the areas with, you know, the Latino communities and put a strong Latino father in there and watch it change. 
watch how the changes just show up because because that's what most of these kids need is a father because they they have a story although it doesn't involve you know a lack of of beans and potatoes necessarily for them a lot of times and sometimes it does but they they grew up in these worlds where there's there's no strong male role model for the young men and we can see what that's creating in some of our communities today yeah i mean you're absolutely right you know i've had 24 kids but i cannot remember one of them saying i wish we had a mom none none at all has ever said i wish we had a mom because they've always wanted a dad you know like they've always wanted a dad and two the behaviors have changed like you know sometimes i have kids who you know they're not doing well in daycare they are being from one end to the other and as soon as they come to me they're like what changed like something changed i'm like it's 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 weird but they just wanted a dad like i think finding a dad knowing that they, they, they have a place to go back home someone to say it's gonna be okay you know i've got two teenagers you know i can truly say as well that really their lives have changed because they have been looking for for someone that will understand them i'm not saying moms don't moms do absolutely but I think 90% of the time they are with moms, but without a dad, you know, uh, and we can wrestle. I can tell you every night they want to compete who can put me down, you know, and it's amazing <laughs> just that wrestling, that just small part of everyday life, how it truly changes their lives, you know, that they can call at school when things are tough and say, what do I do? And I say, son, we're going to walk it through. Uh, and I can say, yes, she's right. You know, she is absolutely right. You know, and I think maybe that's why it changed for me as well to have a large following because there's less men. I was in Oklahoma and I was the only male in the entire state that was a force of that, you know, so there's a great need for sure uh, to truly be a spokesperson and, and encourage other men. You know, the other part, I think we've been told men like, oh, we go work and come home and provide like, mm, yes, and no, you know, yes, we can work. Yes. But I think we also can truly be tender and caring to our little ones and be there as moms do, you know? Uh, I don't think there's a role for here uh, and role for the other one, but I think, you know, most kids are looking for the father role, the dad, the other father. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of the other father, you, you had mentioned a couple times your uh, your faith and, and how that has affected your uh, your choices. So did you grow up with, with a faith instilled in you, or is that something you found later in life? Later in life. Um, so hmm, I think I struggled with hatred towards my dad. You know, like I think faith for me didn't make sense. You know, the Bible says, forgive those who wronged you. I'm like, hmm, no, you know, there are some people who should forgive, there are others who should not, and that includes my dad. So I think for me, I struggled with the requirements, and I think I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to leave both worlds of hatred towards my dad and then, like, somehow be a believer. Like, I, I could take one, you know. And I think until I forgive my dad, then it was a little easier for me to truly have that faith that, you know, uh, that will carry me through the, the good and the bad. Uh, and also, too, I think that really helped me to let go of the anger towards my dad. And I needed that. Yeah, well, I, I understand that. It's uh, yeah, I've talked to a lot of men. And for all the listeners who've heard this podcast for very long, I don't get through too many episodes without mentioning that I'm in a dad's group online. And that's just such a common theme that the guys come in there and talk about as as fathers themselves, they, they struggle with those issues they had with in their own childhood, with their own biological fathers, whether they were absent fathers or whether they were, you know, abusive in some way or another. 
And uh, it's it's just such an important thing to realize that that man we we write that we we write that um, whole idea of what a father is on the hearts of our children. And you know, my, Amanda, my wife, you know, she she has you know it's a struggle that she's always had because she did not have have a healthy father relationship in her childhood. She had a, just a, two interactions really in her lifetime with her with her biological dad, and they are not good stories. Wow. They were really, really horrible stories. And so for her, that that's that's made the idea of a faith journey really difficult, you know, and she's had to struggle through that. So yeah, I, I'm glad to see that you you managed to, to get to the other side of that and realize that, like, this is not something that you can just blame everything over here and walk in that hatred and stay there because, well, because it's no good for you in the long run. It's it's horrible for you and it hurts you and it keeps you from being able to help others and to see what you've done with that is just amazing. Right. The example, I think for this man to show me the example of what a father ought to be, or one unconditional love, like I I understood that. But then the other side, I understood that holding on hatred, like sometimes I think holding on, on what people have done for us is giving a way to still ruin our lives in the future. And I didn't want that. Like I really did not want my dad to rule for the next hour in my life, you know? But I knew I had to let go. The best way was to forgive him. The best way was also to look at what he did towards me and my mom and use it as a foundation to better myself, you know, to better myself. It, it's Napoleon. And I think I was, you know, I loved history. Napoleon said, it's those that have, it's those that have the fight not to lose what they have. Like I already knew what a good dad is. I already knew what a good future is. Like, I did not want the past to ruin it. Like, I didn't want what I know, what I went through to somehow dictate my future as well. You know, so for me, that that was the easiest way. But also, too, the true way, you know, I think even with my foster kids, I to see them struggle, you know, with the neglect or un, unloved by their own parents, you know, but to say, you know, I, I hear you, I understand. But if you keep that and how about that, it's really in some way it's going to ruin your future because you're letting still mom and dad's uh, bad behaviors or decisions kind of ruin your own, you know? So are you really, are you, does that, is that helpful, you know? Uh, in some way you're letting them take over your future as well. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, one of the things that we, we had some training around it when, before we became foster parents, but I'm just going to say not enough. And I don't know if there is enough um, training around this uh, even available in the world. But something that, that was a real struggle for us when we first started was we had this crazy idea that, you know, where love is an important part of this, right? You, you gotta, you gotta care about these kids. You gotta, you gotta love them, like actually love them, but that's not always enough to fix all the problems they have, right? It's almost never enough to fix all the problems. Did you run up against um, oh, many different diagnoses or, or mental struggles, different things like that, that you had to learn how to deal with? Um, you know, the abuse maybe, I think, so, the, so this happened when I was eight, I was about eight, nine, my dad had beat the crap of me, you know? And then he'd send me to go fetch water. And so I was man, mad and mad and just sulking. <coughs> but on the way to get water, on the way back, I saw him. He was at the bar singing and dancing and laughing with his friends. So then I looked at myself. I said, wait a minute. 
for the last six hours, I've been mad, you know? But he's a man I'm mad at who just really forgot the moment he left, you know? And I was like, wait a minute, that, 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 I should know. And so quickly I go to learn how to keep him out of my mind. You know, that anything he does, that we can always make sure that we keep physical from emotional. So me and my kid, me and my siblings would sit down and plan. Like we know we're going to get a beating tonight. So let's get a count, see who cries the earliest or who's going to not cry. So we made into the abuse into a joke for us, like a play. But in some way, we're trying to somehow not let it really get into ourselves, you know. So the same way once I got on the streets of Kampala, you know, if it was sexual, if it was abusing every shop from, like I learned how to just turn off my brain, like turn off my mind and say, that's physical, but I'm not going to let you get into my mental, you know. And I think that really helped me to figure out and how to let go and not how to let what was going on in some way mentally get to me like i just i train my brain to just know the physical is 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 different from my emotional and if i can keep those different then i'll i'll be i'll be i'll be okay you know uh, but in so doing you know of course i i learned the hard way to this point too it's really hard you learn the mechanism of how to not let things get to you so trust is not easy for me like trusting someone uh no, not easy or someone being kind to me because it, Kindness came with abuse as well. So when someone is kind, I'm asking, what do you want? You know, rather than embrace that as like, oh, that's really cool that someone is kind, you know, but rather I go into the question mode, you know. So there are some things that, that I tried so hard to run away from or to avoid, but at the same time, that, you know, the after effects of that is different as an adult, you know, that they get to affect me in, in, a, different, in a different way. You know, and, and as Africans as well, like there's a different level of understanding misery that we, that's all we knew. Think about like everyone in my village was poor. You know, everyone where uh, on the streets of Kampala where all street kids, we all scavenged into, um, into garbage with animals. It, it wasn't accepting what was there, but it's all we knew, you know, so there, there, wasn't, there wasn't a level of, oh, I wish there was a better life here. It's all, it's all we knew. Uh, and so it was known as well, you know, um, that it didn't affect me as it should had I, had I gone back maybe to where I am right now, you know. So there's a different level of, you know, abuse is all you knew, uh, abuse is all you understood. Uh, but as an adult, um, uh, it's affecting me differently in, 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 in some way. And mental, remember, I was born during Idi Amini. You know, think about government-wise, military-wise, like everything was bad, you know? So when you learn to condition to live in that nature, in that environment, you know, I think there was, um, <laughs> I don't know, there, there was a level of how you had to check your mental capacity, how you just, you know, this was no more, uh, it's nothing I did or nothing I created that I had to really think about it often. Wow. Wow. You, you mentioned being a, uh, a single black male wanting to foster kids in Oklahoma and lest I sound like I'm like I'm singling out Oklahoma here because you know, th there's something necessarily wrong with that. I'm from Missouri and trust me, we have our fair share of people here who, um, who would not be, uh, very welcoming to that idea either. Did you ever have any struggles around that, you know, race or anything like that, 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 that was, was a, a problem with people that you had to deal with? 
In Oklahoma? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I I think at first I was shocked, you know, that, you know, first of all, when I went in the foster system, I thought the most, the most disadvantaged were Hispanic, African-American, and Native American. I just didn't think about uh, the Caucasian in that sense, you know. So the first, you know, I think my second child was as blonde as you can go. And I was like, wait, who's this kid? I think you're in the wrong house. And then I found out, like, they were coming to my house. And that's when I began to realize, like, oh, abuse doesn't know color abuse doesn't know race abuse just it's abuse uh, we've seen wealthy families that kids have been taken away for the same reason and so that helped me to understand the level of how far and who it affects so then i embrace every child so and i knew my calling so even i mean we've been stopped i don't know seven times eight times by the police but i've come to learn to say i'll give you what you need but i will make sure that i don't make a scene or i don't make that take away my joy of wanting to be a foster dad. You know, everywhere I pick my kids, my kids are wise for sure, but everywhere I go, they're like, uh, uh, what do you need? Are those your kids? Are you sure? You know, yesterday we had Costco. <laughs> and my kid, you know, Costco, you have to, you know, it's testing food that the parents have to be there. Mm-hmm. So my kids wanted to test food and this lady's like, no, guys, he told my kids like, hey, go get your parents, you know, before I give you food. And all my kids at the, at the <laughs> same time, they said, but he's right here. What do you say I should go get my parents? <laughs> <laughs> he's right standing right here. You know, so I have come to London, you know, but too that we are rare. You know, it's, I think I have seen hundreds of families that are Caucasian that have adapted, adapted, you know, a black kid. But it's rare to see the other way around, you know, where it, Black fathers have adopted white kids. That, that's rare. That I understand that, yes, I'm going to cause people to kind of like, wait a minute, what's going here? You know, because it's, it's unfamiliar. But also to know that that's my call to truly also change the narrative, you know, to truly show that we dads uh, can be good dads as black dads. But two, that me as a black dad, too, I can be a good dad to any child that God brings to my home, you know, and I am that good dad to, to them. Uh, but also to change the story that they haven't seen, I think, you know. Uh, and, and sometimes I don't blame people because, yeah, if you've never seen our family, yeah, you, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna wonder what's going on, you know. But at the same time, truly wanting to be that example, change the narratives of my community here in the United States, in my, in my county. <laughs> but at the same time, when I fly, when I get on that plane, when people ask where are your parents, you know, my kids get mad. They're like, he just scanned your, my boarding pass. What, what do you want? You know, but, <laughs> but in some ways to also show them like, Hey, he's, he's how everyone looks like me. He's how they are treated. And I hope you never get to treat someone like someone treats your dad. Uh, so it's been really nice to educate my kids, but at the same time, really try to change the narrative that dads, we can be good dads and especially black dads as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we have a very, um, blended family if you will when you when you look at us you know you if you see we've got a family picture over there and it looks like you pulled a random collection of folks off the side of the street and said here we're gonna do a family photo and because you know my my wife uh, her maiden name is mcclanahan and she is just as irish as that sounds and so and she fits the stereotypes she makes paper look tan she's so stinking white and you know red hair and then i have a couple you know a couple kids that that look just like her you know, very either dark blonde or, or red hair and very pale skin. And then we've got a couple mixed kids that we have adopted. 
And I'm fortunate enough to, to, I have that ambiguously brown look that nobody knows exactly what I am when they see me and they just assume those are my kids. But then from time to time, we'll have kids like when we had baby Carl staying with us and baby Carl was, he was as black as you could possibly be. I mean, he was the darkest skinned little dude I've ever met in my life. And so when we would walk in places, it would confuse people because we had kids who who fit all the color profiles in the rainbow practically. And (laughs) And my favorite was a little, uh, there was a little um, Chinese restaurant we used to frequent. Uh, it was just a little kind of mom and pop place. And the gal who, who always ran it up front, she was super nice lady. And when we walked in when, after we'd gotten baby Carl, and I, he was just so ridiculously darker than me. And with my white, super pale wife sitting beside me, she walks over and he was a cute baby. He was a happy baby. So he's always smiling and she's, Oh, he's so cute. And then she looks at him. She looks at me. She, he, she says to me, he looks just like you. And it was all I could do not to laugh. Cause I'm like, <laughs> he doesn't look anything like me at all. Like the darkest black hair on my head looks, looks pale compared to him. And. Right. And there's no way that he came from somebody with my, you know, kind of brownish look and my wife's super white look, but she didn't know how else to handle it. You know, she didn't know what else to say. And in that moment, it's it just, you know, it was just politeness. And so, and that's what we gave back to her because that's what she, she was, what she was trying. She was trying to be polite. And so it confused, it confuses some people sometimes, but you know, I think that the, the big part is, is what you're talking about. We choose how to respond to that and how to we teach our kids how to respond to this kind of stuff and we teach their uh we teach the community around us what that means when we walk in and look different and then treat them with kindness regardless of how they treat us right yes absolutely be the example you know i think you know my my false parents were the best example that you know i didn't speak their language but they always saw the best in me uh, that I can do the same. And and too, like, I think for me who has, you know, half a million followers or, on social media, you know how negative people can be. Like, you, there are some people who just don't like to see something good, you know, and, and make sure that I don't give it an ear, you know, that I do what I do best and, and let the rest kind of, you know, fly by. Uh, you know, people's ha- people have opinions, you know, on, on what they think of me, and, you know, but to make sure that, I can be the example, but I think more importantly, as I told you how I avoided abuse from my dad by removing physical from emotional, you know, the same, like I try to just not, not entertain, um, but in, in some way, just do, do what I do best, you know, but too, I wanted to show empathy. I think for me, my kids are a occasion that I'm not a protester. I don't go out and protest, but I just, I let my life be the protest on how I live my life. If I can have empathy to kids who don't look like me, that I hope someone will have empathy towards me the same way, you know, the same way that I get to see my kids in every, they're my favorite human beings that I love them to death, you know, that someone who sees us can say, say, man, if that guy loves their kids the way he does, I should have respect for him or try to love others that don't necessarily look like me the same way. Yeah, that's that's exactly it right there, man. You you hit the nail on the head because the best thing we can do is is to show people how how we would like them to have responded to us. You know, we we had an an, an instance where we walked into uh to a little restaurant. It's it's in a very 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 rural community in Missouri, 
and it's still a sundown town from what I understand. Um, it's, it's a very racially, um, not diverse area and they don't take kindly to anybody who's not completely white being in their town after dark. So it's, it's, I know that about the town now. I did not know that when we went up there and, um, with that was when we had baby Carl with us and he was going up to that town houses, a, uh, the women's correctional facility here in Missouri, one in where his mom was, was serving some time and we had gone up there so she could have a visit with him. And, uh, when we walked in the restaurant, uh, I mean, they immediately put us in the back room where nobody was, the lights were out, the chairs were still on the table. Like she had to open up the back room and stick us in the back room. People stood up and walked out of the restaurant. And I was mm. like, Hmm, this is interesting. <laughs> I don't like the way this feels. And, right. uh, and so by the time we left, I had to decide how to handle that. I had to decide, you know, how I was going to respond. And, and I, I eventually came to, I didn't like the answer, but God kind of told me what I needed to do was I needed to show her that this could be a good thing. You know, we might not look conventional to you, but we can still be an amazing thing in this world. And so I said, you know what? We're in a tiny town in the middle of nowhere, and she's probably gotten, you know, dollar, $1, $2 tips all day long. So we're going to leave her a tip that's going to be, you know, half the price of the meal. And we're just going to, you know, sit here and eat our food and then leave a, a nice tip so that when all those people come back the next day, because it was one of those towns, like nobody's coming through there for, for like traffic going on vacation. If you were there, you probably lived in the area and you're probably there having your coffee and breakfast every morning. And right. uh, so when they came back the next morning to say something about us to her, I hope she was able to look at them and say, hey. They left me a better tip than any of you fools ever did, you know, and just to leave, to change the heart of one person, just one person so that her, if she had any of that, that thought process in her own head, it had to challenge that and say, Hey, yes, they were different, but they were still good people. And that's yes, all we I, can do. Absolutely. I like that example because I had one kid, you know, Caucasian kid, and I had him for about a year and his, his parents didn't like me at first. But later they warmed up to me and then they really fell in love with me. But here's what they said. They said, all my life, all my life, I've been told black people are not good people. But, but, but when our three kids needed a place, there was only one person that took them and that was you, you know? And that was you, like, of all people we thought could come in and step in. It was a black man that took in our kids and loved them and gave them best. And they were, in some way they were telling me, it, it's it's amazing, you know, what you've done for our kids because it changed how we view the world as well on what we've been told about you, but yet your kindness and how you love our kids has truly changed the way we think, you know? So for me, I mean, that was probably one of the best comments I ever heard from a parent saying, you know, yes, you know, of, of all people who say they, they care, no one took in my kids, but you did, you know? And I think... Uh, uh, that's the best example that we, I like how you did, like of all people who came in to say, wait a minute, you know, but they treated me better than anyone else. Uh, and that's been my, my whole goal in life that I treat you the best that the next one you say, wait a, wait a minute, what? You know, even the police, they, every time they, they stop us, they always come back and apologize. They're like, look, you know, it's our job to follow up when someone calls, but also we feel sad that someone would call you for what you do like it's it's sad um and for me to have not have a bad attitude towards them but always we travel with paperwork as soon as they stop us we know what to pull and show 
you know, but at the same time, I understand that they do their job, that they're not there to look for me, but someone called, you know, and we know there are bad people who take care, who take kids, uh, who do bad things, but at the same time to recognize that, you know, they're not the bad guys, that person who made a phone call. So what part of the country do you live in right now? So we live in Charlotte, North Carolina. We live in the South. So I've seen it all. I have had it all. Yes, we live in North Carolina, Charlotte. Okay, yeah. So you probably still see a bit of that. I, yeah, I know. I know that um, not all of the not all of the South has assimilated to the uh, to the beliefs that they probably should have since somewhere around the Civil War and, and gotten over over all that craziness. So I, I'm certain you have seen your fair share of it. So it's I think it's amazing that that you came from from such a difficult place. You know, did amazing things to end up where you're at. And then still are, are moving, moving towards helping others and spreading love to other people as opposed to all the, all the negative stuff that you can, you can reach towards really easily. Yes, you know, absolutely. And, and too, but I'm also learning too, to, to love on their parents. Like, you know, I think every time I was on the streets of Kampala, everyone was like, you know, what a mother, but they didn't know what my mom had to go through. That I think I've learned to really love to to love their parents unconditionally and to bridge the gap. You know, I've had 24 kids, you know, and I think 12 of them have gone, you know, unified with their parents. Um, and and to learn both worlds of the strange world we come from, uh, and 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 to not judge, but rather to impress them. You know, I mean, I'm a foster dad. I had six weeks of school. I have every resource you could think of. I have, you know, other foster parents that can help me when I need help. You know. I was given all the resources, but to some of these moms, they, there's no resource I have, you know? And so for me to go in and say, you should treat your kids and love your kids this way, that's unfair, you know, that's unfair um, that I'm learning to, to love on them and, and bridge the gap so they can have their kids back. Like my mom uh, was uh, in the same position. You know, that's, that's one of the things, you know, in foster care, the first, the primary goal is reunification with the parents whenever possible. And I, that, that, that one's hard. Let's be honest. Sometimes that one's hard. Sometimes it's harder than others that there's been, you know, that there's been some situations we've had, you know, um, you know, one particular kiddo that, you know, mom got up when, when the baby was born and she left the hospital and she never came back. Right. And you go, how do you do that? That's super easy to be judgmental on those people really fast what's not easy to be you know, what's not easy to do is to look at that and go okay what causes a person to be that way how can we help there how can we you know help her create a bond with a child that's going to last a lifetime in that particular case well they've got to show up at, there's got to be some way to connect to be able to do that and unfortunately you know that that's not been something that, that we've had an ability to do at this point um you know I can't help a mom who's who's gone in the wind and and just disappeared, but I need to be able to do that if that opportunity shows up, even though that's friggin' hard. Right. So, Peter, you sound like you have you have faced many, many, many hard things to get where you're at, and and somehow or another, you still are just reaching out to help other people at every turn, and that that's inspiring, dude. That's something we don't get to see. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, how do I say, when you've been there, like when you've been there, when you've been rescued, when you've been given second chance, when you've been 
have you always seen someone just so the best in you? It's, it's, it's hard not, it's like I won a hundred million dollars for me to treat others like giving a hundred dollars back, you know? <laughs> that's, that's how I look at it. Like, it's just, you know, it's like, how can I not give back? Uh, or how can I not use what I've been blessed to truly be there for others? That's, that's kind of how I, I don't know, that's how I interpret my world, you know, again, to whom much is given, much is required. And I think maybe for me, it's difficult to live in, live in the United States to see, like, man, you can have so much, but at the end of the day, what's your legacy? You know, my foster parents, they always say, Peter, my legacy is my deathbed that I will have kids come and say, you changed my life, you know? That on my final day on a funeral, that I'll have families and friends who say, man, you touched my life, you know? And I think that really helped me that, yes, I don't want to own 100 homes that my funeral day, they'll say he had so many homes, you know, he had so many cars, <laughs> nice cars. No, I don't know. I think for me, I, I want to have a legacy uh, that I, I changed a life because someone changed my life as well. But also that it is my job. It is my duty. It's not someone else. I like what you said uh, at the beginning. You said it is our community. It's our job. Um, but also the example you use saying, if we want a healthy kid, if you want a healthy community, men ought to be in a community, ought to be on that street, ought to be on that corner. And it's true. For me, that man was there for me. He came on the streets of Kampala where no one wanted to be and changed a life. You know, there were more than a thousand kids on the streets. He didn't take them all, but he changed one. And I think for me too, that goal to say, I can't change them all. There's half a million kids almost in the care. I know I can't change them all but I know I can change what I can. Right now I have four and that's my blessing, you know, um, to see what I've been given and to see how much I can use that to change another person's life. But it's the greatest legacy, I would say. You know, you mentioned that legacy word and that's, that's a big one. Um, that's something that in the dad's group that I'm in, we talk about a lot. And here's what I know. I know that a hundred years from now, the world will be different because I lived in it. And my life is just the story of how it will be different. That's it. It will be different. I promise you, I, you, you a, a legacy to me is, is just like the wake behind a boat. You don't get to choose whether or not you leave it. You just get to choose what it looks like. You get to shape it. And if you're intentional about that, man, you can change the world. You can change the, you will change the world and you'll change it for the better if you're intentional. Absolutely. And that's why I chose to write my book as well. You know, of course, it was really ugly going back to my childhood. There are some things I thought I had locked away and I would never have to revisit, you know, but writing a book, I needed to go there. But through the process, I knew that going back is really also taking someone how far I've gone. You know, uh, people see me as a dad. They're like, man, how do you do it? And I wanted them to go back and see what path I had to go through to get where I am, you know what things I had to overcome, you know, in order to be a dad. Um, but also I wanted to encourage people that our past should not define who we are, you know, on how I beat the odds, on how I, from my childhood to a street kid and, and being hopeless, but along the way, how I found hope um, and how that encouraged me that maybe they can have a glimpse of, of my journey and be able to say, if Peter can go this far, man, I got something to offer in the, in the world uh, for sure. Well, Peter, you're going to be an inspiration to many people. And I just want to thank you for coming on here and telling your story today, because I am certain you're going to inspire more people. And 
your book is, it comes out in, let's see, August, uh, depending on when you listen to this podcast, it comes out in August of 2022, correct? Correct. Yes. It comes in August, but it's ready for pre-order. So even if you want to order it now, you can do so, uh, but it comes uh, August 30th, 2022. All right. August 30th in 2022. So I go out to the website is nowimknown.com, right? Yes. Right. Or you can go to any website, any bookstore in the world, and you'd be able to book that, you know, book the book at Now I'm Known uh, and anywhere in the world as well. So which is a blessing. Awesome. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And and the Internet now has made it so easy for us to find that stuff and do it from the comfort of your own home. And it will just show up on your doorstep when when it's time. And that is amazing. So I'm excited to, to see that story come out and see just how much further your story can can move out across this world and change lives of the people, not only people that you know, the people who see you in your community, but the people who are just in the world who will never know you personally. And you can still change your life. Absolutely. Yes. Well, we, I like the, you know, what one pastor said, he said, I can, I can do to one what I would wish to do to many. That's it. <laughs> I yeah. love it, man. Well, thank you so much for your time and your story. Thank you so much, Jason, for having me. What a blessing. Okay. Foster care nation. Thank you for listening to Peter's story. Now take his knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon account where you can support our mission our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios.